we all live in a world where, uh, where bad news is kind of the thing. Bad news sells. Bad news is what everybody likes to talk about. Misery loves company. Um, dramatic, whatever. Enter, enter, ex, you know, adjective here. But what about good news? Wouldn't we all like to hear a little bit more good news? Yes, yes. So, why don't you think of some good news that's happened recently and just kind of share with the person next to you. Share some good news. Simple, doesn't have to be anything crazy. Just, you know, something that's good. Just talk to someone next to you. Let them know. Would anybody like to share any of that good news? It could be the good news they heard, the good news that they shared. Would they like to share it out loud? Like I said, it could be simple. Some good news that I had is, uh, as many of you know, my wife Leah, share, she, she teaches dance and stuff like that too, and she, had, uh, she teaches some girls that are like, I don't know, underprivileged at risk in an after-school program, and they had a show this week, and they did awesome, and Leah came back super juiced. She was just like, it was great. Like, the kids were just excited. She was worried about it beforehand, but everything went really well, and the girls just, they felt alive, and it was awesome. So I'd like to, you know, yeah. So, thank you, Leslie. Um, so I'd like to, you know, did anybody have any good news that they wanted to share with everybody else that they heard or that they had? Like I said, it could be simple. Yes. Yes. All right. Wow. Nice. You can apply that. That's yes. Cool. Well, all right. So what what were some of the things um, that, that made this good news? It, it was fun, right? That was great. It was fun to share. It was pretty easy. I mean, that's not hard to share that. That's You're happy to share things like that. And, um, and I'd say it brought a little bit of joy to all of us. Like, we're all a little bit uplifted. Everybody I see right now is smiling, which is, you know, a sign that there's a little bit of joy. Um, so that's what made it good news. It brings us joy. It lifts us up. And, you know... It's just, it's easy. It's easy to share. It's fun. So what about the good news, right? The, the obvious segue here. What about the good news? What even is it um, is, is a really hard thing to define sometimes. You'd be amazed. I've, I've heard entire 45-minute lectures on people trying to define the gospel. Um, so what is the good news, and why is it so good? And that's kind of a hard thing to, to share. I mean, I have, I have a definition that I spent a lot of time on, and hopefully this gets it across, and then we can kind of work from there. I'm actually going to pick this up and like look right at it so I don't blow it. So, God sent his only son, Jesus, down to earth. He was fully divine, a.k.a. fully God, and he was fully human. He is what God intended for us to be as humans. He was, he was the only one to live a perfect life. Um, during his ministry, he went to the sick and he healed them. He went to the hungry and he fed them. And he went to those who desired to know God, and he taught them. He showed them God. Having trained his disciples and living a sinless life, he was tortured, he suffered, and he gave up his life on the cross to take the punishment for sin that we all deserve. God then raised him to life so that we may also have eternal life in him by believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And as believers, we are gifted with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Okay. That's the definition. It comes with a lot of weight, too. I mean, that's kind of... It comes with weight, but it, I don't feel like it's heavy. After hearing that, I'm not like, oh, man. 
that's heavy. But it carries weight and it's impactful. And one of the other awesome things, maybe not my definition, but it is complete. There's nothing to, that needs to be added to the gospel. The gospel is, is ready to go. It, you know, that's God's thing. He's got it wrapped up. And what I ask is, is do we really believe it? Do we stop and think, yes, God has, he is, he's raised us to life. We don't have to carry the burden of our sins. Um, and this is something we can have joy about and share it and, and continue these smiles that we have as we know that God has, has rescued us from our own, um, our own shortcomings, our own life. Um, and another thing, it's something that people were looking for then, and it's something people are still looking for right now. Um, I want to read from Mark. <clears throat> he, he makes this really clear as he begins his gospel. Um, I'm going to read from Mark. What I would like everybody to do, actually, is, is see if you'd close your eyes and just, um, and just because it's not really, the, the reference will be on the screen, but there's not going to be any words. I want everybody to just kind of close their eyes and imagine the scene. We're going to go through all of Mark, and I just want you to take it in as, as we go. Imagine the scene. So the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to even stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, you guys can open your eyes back up. Mark mentions, um, he, he, also, he mentions Isaiah, and he also draws from two other prophets here. And that, this is going to be up on the screen. He draws specifically from Malachi and Moses. Um, we don't, there's no book of Moses, right? It's, this is, he draws from Exodus. Um, so specifically Ma- Malachi 3.1, um, Exodus 23.20, and Isaiah 43. And he kind of mixes it up into when he, when he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. You can kind of see that they all, like in different pieces, mixed together. And as we've been talking about, there's been points throughout is- Israel's history where they're being told, the Savior is coming. There's a promise that you guys are going to be delivered. And we can see it mentioned in three different places in the prophets here that, he ref- that Mark references just real quick, just in, in a breath. He mentions three different, different prophets that, um, that Israel is looking for. So all of Israel knew it. They were waiting. They were anticipating. And you could say they were desperate for this time of deliverance. And now there's excitement. People are coming from all over the Judean countryside. They're excited as the Savior is coming. Somebody who John is not even worthy to untie, and people are coming flocking to see him, and the person who's coming after him is even greater. So they could be witnessing exactly the deliverance they're looking for. Anxiety can be replaced with excitement. And just like us now, the Jews knew exactly what they were looking for, and they knew exactly what God was supposed to do. Or did they? Or do we? I think we often think that God, we know exactly what God's supposed to do, right? We have our plans. We're like, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing 
and I'm going to be a believer in God, and he's just going to like make my plans happen, because God loves me, and I'm supposed to be this happy, special snowflake, and you know, everything's just going to go right, because God wants me to be happy. But I think in the gospel's completeness, we sometimes forget two major things. One is that it's not always what we're expecting, right? When Jesus came, he did a lot of things that people weren't expecting um, in the definition of the gospel. He died on the cross, not what anybody was expecting. Come with a sword, like deliver Israel, not go and die, right? This is, that's not what people were expecting. And another big thing is it's not just something for everyone. It's everything, it's all things to everyone. It's all things to all of us. So I want to highlight this with a kind of, this is a little bit of my coming to Christ and um, my firefighter academy experience. Um, I I started becoming, I I transitioned out of the corporate world, like kind of tossed my whole life aside and was like, all right, I'm going to try and do this thing. I want to be a firefighter because when everybody's running out of the burning building, I want to go in. That looks like the fun place to be for me. Um, Brian Bray is a crazy person. He's like, yes, adrenaline and um, saving people too. Yes, that we'll, we'll go with that. So as I started the academy, a whole bunch of things just went awry in my life. Like I lost 10 pounds in the 10 days before the fire academy. Um, and it was just, I was just a mess. So right now, I don't know, I sit at like 165. I was about 20 to 25 pounds lighter than I am right now as you see me. Um, and I'm not a thick person, so I was pretty, pretty thin, low on energy, and, um, and I, I started going to church randomly. Not, not so randomly, obviously, but, um, and then I was like, okay, now maybe I'll have the strength to get through this academy, which I did, and as I was doing it, um, Something about the gospel spoke to me, and I started imagining, like, yes, I, wanna, I do want to share this good news with people. And any time I went places, um, I started talking about being a Christian, right? I always, you know, religion, one of those things. You don't talk about this at parties, right? I'm at, some, I'm at a friend's house. We're watching a UFC fight, and I start talking to people about my recent coming to faith. And I'm just like, yeah, this is, like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, I was all down here, and now I'm up here, and, and you know, all these things. And so Jesus did, he, 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 in my estimation, he tossed me over his shoulder and he just kind of like carried me through the fire academy because, well, hey, um, there was no way on my own strength I was getting through that. So naturally, I thought that uh, that, that meant that I was going to become a firefighter and I was going to be saving people. And I kind of thought that as I was coming to people in their time of need, right? Because you don't call 911 when you're having a good day. You're not like, hey, I just thought I would send all the firefighters and the cops and the EMTs over my house to have them over for coffee and a bagel, and we'll, we'll see how everything's going. No, it's like, you know, my leg fell off, or, you know, my, you know, somebody's sick, you know, and, and I wanted to be there at that time, and I hoped that people would just kind of like see Jesus in me, and I wouldn't actually say, hey, I'm here, and by the way, God's here too. Um, so this was kind of my plan, and um, as you can tell, things did not go how I planned. Um, and God has a different plan for me and how, I'm, and how I'm supposed to kind of live like my life and my work and my faith and mix all that together, and apparently he wants me to be a little bit more overt with my faith than like showing up and being like, I'm here to help. Um, Jesus loves you. Bye. Okay. Um, right? So... And I, I've just recently developed a, lot, a little bit more peace about that. So I would, I would argue that uh, many of us 
though we expect that we expect our plans to be delivered. Um, we expect a little bit of comfort and some financial success. Um, do I have any general agreement? That's kind of what people. I'm going to go by the chuckles with yes. <laughs> um, Israel, believe it or not, they had the same kind of thing. They were expecting to be delivered from whomever had power over them at the time. In the time of Jesus, it was Rome, but before that, you know, it, it was, um, I wanted to say the Byzantine Empire. I don't know where I'm coming up with that. Um, Babylon. You know, all sorts of people have had domination over Israel. They wanted to be delivered from that. They were expecting a massive show of force. Um, and then they were going to have comfort and financial well-being, the land of milk and honey. And everybody was just going to sit back and be like, yes. Um, and as we have kind of seen through this, this series, people don't change. We all kind of expect like, hey, deliver me comfort, financial success, everybody wins. So um, we're going to take a look at what happens next now. <clears throat> Matthew, this is going to be Matthew 1, 9 through 13. Again, just kind of imagine the scene. One of the things I would remember learning in seminary is the best way to engage the word is to let your imagination go with it. Um, so, continuing, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So, not what we expect from the incoming hero. Hey, go out into the desert. See ya. This is a place where uh, there's no people, and right? he's attended by, he's hanging out with wild animals, um, and he starves, right? 40 days without food, and then the devil himself Hangs is, is there to tempt him. And let's also remember that the desert is kind of exile territory. This isn't exactly where people want it to be. So, um, this is also exactly what we need. And this is the cornerstone of what makes the good news complete. The gospel. This is where Jesus does what Israel and us has failed to do over and over again. So I'm going to read through Matthew's version of this. Um, just so we can kind of get like, just, just the part where he's out in the desert, because just right, he's out in the desert for 40 days, that doesn't really give us the full picture. Um, and, you know, it's fun to watch the connections of Scripture and other Scriptures. So in Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 11, um, this, is, this is what happens. And I just kind of, once again, kind of close your eyes, and we'll, we'll imagine this is Jesus being out in the desert. So, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Obviously frustrated, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. That kind of leads me to believe that last part, that maybe the angels had kind of stepped away while Satan was there, and he was on his own, just him and Satan. And of course, God and the word of God that he had remembered. So let's, let's break this down. Let's look at the first temptation and see if we can see what Jesus is doing here that is so crucial to his completing the gospel and his being our savior. The first thing, first temptation, the stomach, right? Turn these rocks into food. And, um, you know, that would, that would be pretty tempting after 40 days without food. Like, hey, that's right. I can do that. But he doesn't. <clears throat> Instead, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, um, r- reminding us that, that man does not live on, on bread alone, but on the word of God, that we trust God um, and we rely on the Father for our sustenance. Um, and he remembers scripture, and he, he remembers it properly, too. He doesn't misquote it to like say something else, which is exactly what Satan does in the next thing. Um, so he... He does what Israel was supposed to do. He's supposed, they're supposed to trust the Father for deliverance. Jesus trusts the Father for deliverance from his hunger and as he sits there being tempted by Satan. The second thing, then Satan's like, oh yeah, scripture. I know some of that stuff too. I'm gonna see if I can throw this back at Jesus and kind of trip him up. I mean, he's the son of God. So then he quotes Psalm 91, 11 through 12, which is the first Psalm, by the way, that I ever read in the Bible um, long before I believed, really even believed in God. So I just kind of think that's, I don't know, it stands out to me for any specific reason. Um, it just, I was kind of a hypochondriac as a kid. I worried a lot. So to think that there was a, somebody bigger up there that cared if I stubbed my toe was comforting. Um, so he's trying to get Jesus to force God's hand. Like, obviously God can't let Jesus just like fall off the temple and die right now. That, like, he's got stuff to do. So he would be trying to force God's hand, making him, making the Father follow his will instead of him following the Father's will. So what does he do? He quotes scripture right back. And he goes, hey, it says do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not try and make God do things the way I want to do. My plans follow God's will, not God's will following my plans. Um, and then Satan, Satan's third temptation he promises power and dominion over everything that can be seen. We might not want to admit it, but I think a lot of us would like a little bit more of that. Oh, can I just get a little bit more financial? Can I get a better job? Can I move, you know, do whatever it is? I mean, all of us want a better job. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we, when we place everything in that and place all of our hopes in what we see around the world, Jesus looks at it and he goes, again, he responds with God's word from Deuteronomy 6 this time. And we're not to worship and put our hope in anything other than God. God first, everything after that. Or as I like to say, God at the center, and then things can stem off from that. Because first means, you know, fifth place might not ever even touch first place. But if he's in the center, everything wraps around it. So Jesus relies on God. He doesn't try and make God fit a mold, which would have been Jesus' way. He doesn't worship anything else. These are all things that Israel and us fail at. Um, and these are also things we're tempted with on a daily basis. We get hungry, we get desperate. Um, we're ruled by our appetites and our desires, and we want God to deliver us from this. Um, and we usually know 
how we should be delivered, right? I know what I need. I know what I need. I need a steak most of the time, among many other things, but that's not always what I get. And we're so easily led astray by the promise of something else. And he does all this, my favorite part, after 40 days of not eating, right? I can't make it 40 hours, and after 40 minutes, if I've been hungry for 40 minutes, not just 40 minutes from the last time I ate, but if I've been hungry for 40 minutes, I start getting kind of cranky. I'm not going to quote scripture properly. I'm going to be like, how about I just hit you? Would that, would that work? <laughs> like, just get out of here. I am hungry. So after this, this is when Jesus gets to, now he gets to begin his ministry. Right? Let me see if I can, so I can get back to it. Um, we're going to close our eyes again. This one's going to be kind of quick. This is just Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. And so after this, at, um, it says, after this, John was put in prison. After John was put in prison, sorry, Jesus went into Galilee, Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So seemingly, John had to clear the way for Jesus and then be kind of taken out of the picture, it seems, a little bit. And then Jesus makes very clear what is happening next. He is bringing the kingdom of God. And even better than that, or not better, but right along parallel with it, is he makes clear what we need to do, what needs to be done. Repent and believe. Not complicated. So in there, he, may, he, he makes clarity. He gives to the people what they want. He brings them clarity, and this is why the gospel is clear. Believe and know that the kingdom of God is near. So let's move on. Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. Again, let's imagine this. Close our eyes. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with, with the hired men and followed Jesus. So, Jesus calls us to himself. This is not somebody who's like, hey, I stayed out in the desert and I want you guys all to come out here wandering to find me. He comes to us and he calls us. And uh, he brings a little poetry and irony into it, which is funny. He goes to the fishermen and be like, hey, I'm going to have you be fishers of men. Get it, you guys? Yeah, clever. Um, I think that's kind of fun because I see things through that lens a lot of the times, as many of you know. Um, but they follow him without the guarantee of financial success or worldly power. You know, they know what the promise is, and they seem to know that probably Jesus' reputation might have preceded him a little bit, hence John preparing the way, making paths straight for him. But they don't know how it's going to turn out. They just say, they have their idea. They think Jesus might come with a sword, especially John and James. They're like, yeah, and Peter, they guys were like, Peter's like, hey, I'm going to cut their ear off later on. It's going to be, we're going to make this happen. Um, but... They don't know exactly what's going to happen. The future is still unknown, and how the promise is going to unfold is unclear. So, continuing on, let Scripture speak. Close your eyes. Mark chapter or 1, verse 21. Then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he had taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just, as a man in, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed. And they said to each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. 
News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So he spoke with such authority that people were amazed, right? I mean, I don't think you'd be as amazed right now. They're just, you guys are here. You're like, okay, some of this is, you know, there's some cleverness maybe here and there. But Jesus had people like on the edge of their seats and then a demon freaks out, right? I think the demon was scared. And I think he was like, oh, and he just kind of blurted something out, gave himself away. Not that Jesus didn't already know he was there. And then Jesus was like, poof, you're gone. Just like that. He brings spiritual healing to people. Just like, I mean, on, on a dime, he brings spiritual healing. And then he travels and he heals, you know, he, he heals people. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. I, I kind of, that's coming up in this one. He, and then after she's healed, she, with the over-gratitude, she develops a servant heart. And you'll see that in the beginning of the next reading. Um, and as I continue on through verse 39. So, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, Simon's mother-in-law, in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand up, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Physical healing, an immediate servant heart that comes. Then after, then evening, bleh, sorry, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. So what does Jesus say? He replies, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout the Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. We see that Jesus draws people in. The good news draws people in. People are like, oh my gosh, Jesus, I need to go and see this guy. People wanted, and they still want, this kind of healing. They want to, be, they want to feel better. They want to, they want to have the, the demons of their life kind of shun out, and they want to know what is good. And when people come to seek him out, they don't necessarily get what they're expecting, and then he runs off to the countryside, and he's like, hey, I've got more things to do than just right here. I think that's awesome. That's a, that's a, sh- a show for us that it's not just the church. It's outside. It's always expanding. It's not just the walls of the synagogue. He went to the countryside, not just inside the walls of the church. It's all everywhere that we go. As we continue on, the last part of Mark chapter 1 It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for you as cleansing, as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but had to stay outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So, in Leviticus, uh, in chapter 13, we learn that uh, as a infect- person with an infectious disease on your skin, you're, you're cast out, you're cut off. You cannot even be part of the civilization. You have to live outside of society. So you can't even be with the people, much less go to the temple and try and seek forgiveness from your sins from God. You're just, you're done. That's it. So what does Jesus, uh, the guy, two things that are amazing here, the guy feels he can come to Jesus, right? You're not even supposed to go to people. Actually, 
I read something that was pretty terrible. They're also supposed to wear ripped clothes and just run around yelling that they're unclean all the time so nobody comes near them. Oh, no, you can't come near me. I'm filthy. Get away. Um, So he comes to Jesus and wonders if Jesus might be willing, and Jesus is willing and makes him clean. This guy can now come before God, something that he was never able to do, and then he he can write his sins. Last reading is from Mark chapter 2. If you don't want to imagine this part. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing, bringing to him their, a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him to, G, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above, above Jesus, and they, <clears throat> after digging through it, they lowered the mat on a par- with a paralyzed man that was laying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, what, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive son, sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus can see into our heart and minds. He knows what we're thinking, he knows what we're feeling, and he still loves us and wants to bring us into the fold, which I think is something pretty amazing, because if everybody knew my thoughts all the time, I don't know if they would love me, but Jesus does. And this guy's friends of incredible faith come expecting physical healing. Hey, this guy can't walk. We know that Jesus gives people that are sick new abilities to like see, to walk. Um, but that's not what Jesus started with. He delivered that, but first he forgave their sins. And this is, this is what Israel really needed, and this is what keeps us all from God. Jesus first saw that the man could come to God, and then he brought him physical healing. Jesus steps into our, fi- our sins, our failures, our trespasses, our inability to measure up to what God calls us to. He was perfect, and he, helps, he brings us to perfection. Jesus removes this, the very thing that separates us from God, and that is the good news. So there's no part of our lives that the gospel can't touch, and that it doesn't touch. It's not always what we expect, but it is always good, and it is always what we need. So when we share the gospel, let's not get hung up on thinking, oh, is this going to fit what this person needs right now? Is this what they're looking for? Because it won't. But it will. God, I thank you that you sent your son, and he lived a perfect life, and he cares about every aspect of our life, that he brings us to the perfection that we can't do on our own, that we have, as human beings have never been able to do. And God, I, I ask that... Uh, that we would just accept that, that we would believe that, um, and that as we move forward in life, that we would let the gospel touch every part of our lives so that we can help to help make sure that it touches every, everybody that we bring. In Jesus' name I pray.